0: Um, this, this past week uh, I, was, I was up in Pittsburgh or near Pittsburgh for a, a, one of my doctoral classes and um, it's a small seminary an evangelical seminary in the Anglican tradition and uh, the, the class was called Ministry in Missiological Context and the guy who taught it was this awesome 78 year old lifelong missionary who lives in Austin, Texas now and had taught for years in Guatemala. And I'm in class with um, uh, one priest who's from Kenya, another um, lady from Kenya, and uh, a man who ministers all over Indonesia. And he's from Singapore, but ministers in Indonesia. It was wonderful and enriching. For me to, to be up there, and I'm really grateful that our church gives me time and space and resources to go do stuff like that. And one of the ladies that I met, she was, a, um, so one thing about the seminary is they're not just Anglicans, obviously I'm Presbyterian, um, but there's people from all kinds of different streams coming to this place and quite a few Lutherans, which I don't hang out with Lutherans all the time. Um, and... Just FYI, they love Martin Luther. I don't know if you knew that, but they get super excited when you ever bring up Martin Luther. And um, so there's, she is a, um, a Lutheran pastor in a conservative Lutheran denomination, and she, um, older lady, she's in her second career, and um, I don't know how old she is. She seems like young and Lively, but then she was talking about her 81 year old husband jumping out of a plane for his birthday. So I don't know how old she was, but um, she's been doing this for like 14 years. And she pastors five churches, five churches in rural Pennsylvania. And she makes a 200 mile driving circuit to get to them all. And I just looked at her and I was like, that sounds exhausting. Are you okay? Like, how, how can you do that? Now, she, she only preaches at three on a Sunday. Her associate does two of them. She only does three, and, um, which is crazy. And she, she looked at me when I asked her if she was tired, and she said, honestly, no. I am so honored that Jesus would use me, that He would use my hands to baptize His family. And I am so honored that I get to preach the Gospel and preach Jesus. It is the best job in the world. And I'm not tired at all. And I was like, you are a hero. What, what, What an amazing, amazing testimony. So encouraging. And, you know, you may not be a pastor, but you should take delight like this woman in the fact that God loves to use His people, no matter their age or their station, no matter how well-educated or or not they are, because all these people that she's ministering to are like coal miner Pennsylvania folk, and they just love Jesus. And Jesus loves to be with His people. So it is, it is good for us to be here together, is it not? You can say amen, yes, something like that. you got to prime the pump for white people. <laughs> Give an repro- appropriate response. Um, it is good to be worshiping Jesus together. It is, it is good to be in the Kingdom of God together. This morning we're going to be in a couple different places Uh, First in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, and then Acts, chapter 2. Then Jesus came from Galilee to to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Now we'll flip over to the end of Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word establishes and forms the community of God. We pray this morning that we would be attentive to Your Word. That the places where our hearts are are stony and cold might be pierced by this Word, that they would be soft and aflame. We pray that our hearts would turn to love You and to love one another so the world might come and see how great and glorious You are. We thank You for that, Jesus. Amen. Right now, we are spending a few weeks talking about these, these words that shape us, who we are, uh, why they're important to us, what they mean to us. And last week, we talked about Gospel. And this week, it's community. Gospel, community, discipleship, mission. We believe this this is the way that God wants to shape and transform the Swannanoa Valley, which is what we want. We want to see the kingdom of Jesus transform the Swannanoa Valley. And of course, first and foremost, as the, the foundation to everything that we do, hopefully, is the gospel. And then the gospel creates something and, and forms something in us, not just individually, but together as a people. That's community. So this passage, Acts chapter 2, is kind of the default passage to, when we talk about Christian community. It's the, this fairly rare description of what life is like within the early church. Most of the New Testament is telling you what the church is teaching and maybe where they taught it and what happens when those teachings first got to places. This is one of the few glimpses of what it actually looked like to be a part of this early church, this early split off from Judaism. So in Acts 2, the Spirit of God comes in what we call Pentecost. This noisy, bizarre thing happens, this unexpected thing where the Spirit of God blows through the early church. It literally, it sounds like a wind. It wasn't a wind. It was like a wind is what what they said. And, And something like tongues of fire was over their head. They didn't even really have the language for what was happening the spirit of god fills the people of god for the first time in a unique way and the world kinds of comes and gathers around and says these people are partying and they are partying hard it is a little early to be drunk and they say we're not drunk we're full of the holy spirit god's done something new peter stands up he preaches the first christian sermon he pulls all of these old testament scriptures which is just a demonstration that Peter is transformed, right? Because if you read the Gospels, Peter can run his mouth, but not necessarily with good things to say. But for the first time, Peter stands up and he stands on the authority of the Old Testament Scriptures, exposits them, tells them, this Jesus whom you crucified, He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and everybody responds. 3,000 people, 3,000 men say, uh, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And that's kind of where we left that scene uh, last week. And this is what happens after that. Now all these newly baptized people are living life together. This is what happens. They live in shared community together. And so we look back at this as, as sort of an instruction for maybe what some things uh, that we can look for in our own current Christian community. Now, it has to be said, the New Testament, not always a good model for how you should live as a Christian community. It's important to say that out the outset because when you get to 1 Corinthians, there is weird stuff going on. These people are brand new at following Jesus and there's just people sleeping with people and teaching weird things. And so you can't get the idea necessarily that the New Testament church is like perfect. We don't want to go back and be like them in every single way. But in in some ways, we are like them. Because we too can say, you know what? I also do not have all my stuff together. I also struggle to believe the things that I should believe. And so if you are somebody who's reading the New Testament you're a new believer or reading the Bible for the first time and you're seeing all this weirdness, what you should take comfort from is the New Testament is telling you it takes time to grow into following Jesus. So what we're not saying is we want to be just like this early church in every way. That would be scary. But here in this specific passage in Acts 2, we get a, we get a glimpse of these markers of Christian community that seem to maintain whether they uh, are immature or mature believers. These are good markers of Christian community that we want to model. And there's a few things here that I just want to pull out and examine together. The, the first and most obvious thing is the, the natural understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is that you follow Jesus with other people. With other Christian people. Now, we have oftentimes taken the Gospel, this good proclamation we said that Jesus is King, and we have made it intensely personal. And let me say, it is intensely personal. You individually need to deal with the claim that Jesus is King And you personally, individually, need to assent to His reign to turn away from building your own kingdom and instead come into the kingdom where Jesus is King. That is for you. If you grew up in the church and you just assumed that you just naturally kind of move into this, there are some ways that that that's true, but there are other ways where you individually, personally, not just once, but for all of your life, need to keep turning to Jesus and say Jesus is not just the King. Jesus is my King. So the Gospel is intensely personal. But the Gospel does not generate individuals and individuals alone. When Jesus is preached as the King, He is preached as the King of a kingdom. And therefore, when you come and you acknowledge that Jesus is the King, you become a part of a people who are ruled by this King. And that means that you cannot do Christian life sitting by yourself. The New Testament Christians had no understanding of this at all. And for, and, and for most of history, that idea of following Jesus as a privatized acceptance of a series of propositions, it doesn't exist. In our day and time, it is far more common to say religion is a matter of personal choice, belief, and experience. And that language is not in the New Testament. You are transferred, Paul says in Colossians 1, from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. A kingdom demands a corporate understanding. And if you are baptized into the kingdom of Jesus, you do not just personally experience the waters of baptism dripping off of you that is special and singular and appropriate for you alone but you bear the family marker. We don't just take communion individually whenever we feel like it. You know, I, when I do weddings, I know people are interested at times in doing communion right after they say their vows. And I tell them, we can do communion. But if we do communion, it has to be communion. Communing, it's not a one-person or two-person activity. It's not a private activity. It is a public and corporate activity. That is in its nature what communion is. And that is the nature of Christianity, of following Jesus, is that it is corporate, it is public. And you have to fight hard in our culture, in our day and time, Against the impulse to say, if, if me and maybe me and my family, if we privately are devoted to Jesus, that is enough. It is not. I'm not talking about are you going to go to hell or not. Remember, we, we said that's a bad question. That's, not the, that's the wrong kind of question. We're not supposed to be seeking out the bare minimum that keeps us away from the bad place. The question is, what does Jesus, the King, want for us? And it is not this intensely private, personal experience, but is instead a corporate, shared, public experience with everyone gathered. Notice, too, that it's not just shared and corporate, but there is a kind of liveliness to this description in Acts 2. That they share their lives with each other. They do the simple, mundane, ordinary business of life together. They eat together. These aren't special, sacred meals, spiritual, rote, mystical things. This is they're hungry for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they eat them together. And this is actually a helpful guideline for how you know if you are engaged in the the public corporate nature of life with Jesus. Simple things like Do I share meals with other Christians? This is not a rule to enforce upon you, it's a helpful guide. Do you do the ordinary business of your life with other Christians? Do you share your table with other people? Now, there's a lot here all over Scripture about the importance of table fellowship. And I don't have time to go into all of that. But sharing a meal, eating together, is an intensely important thing. The the, the the cycle of israel's life is tied up in what and how they eat the example of god's generosity is tied up in the image of table generosity the ordinary nature of you sitting and eating with other believers is incredibly important and that does not mean you have to share every single meal with other people i i too am an introvert and I just need space. And that's okay. What's not okay is me using my introversion or any other thing to, to never have anybody else seated at my table. Which sort of leads me to this other mark of Christian community. There's something incredibly vulnerable about Christian community. Because notice one aspect here of what they do in Acts 2 is they care for one another's needs. The only way that you can do that as a community is if somebody has said, hey, I have needs. I am lacking. I'm lacking food, shelter, spiritual care. There is an understood and implicit vulnerability in Christian community. And we believe that that is an important value to to cultivate in our community at Valley Hope. For many of us, that will not involve you saying every time that you're in a specific state of physical need. Now, there are plenty of us who do need help with stuff, Trees fall, cars get wrecked, unexpected bills come, ER trips happen, and we want to help take care of each other. We have a deacon fund for that, more than that, in addition to that. Each one of us individually should be ready and willing to put our arms around one another and help take care of needs like that. And if you say... I have $3 to spare in my monthly budget. That is all that you can give from. Nobody's asking otherwise. There's not compulsion here, remember. There's generosity. But more than just physical needs, every single one of us has spiritual needs. No, The assumption here is that no single person has everything together. And if you are the person that thinks you have everything together, well, then we've identified your spiritual need. You're an arrogant person. And we will help you understand the truth about yourself. But I think most of us are willing to say, I too have needs. And and for, for many of us, you've grown up being taught that you just don't talk about those things. And look, I'm not saying... Everybody needs to know all of your business. That's not how human relationships work. That would be a little bit weird. And I promise you, not everybody here knows all my business. But true Christian community invites you into depths of vulnerability so that at least some people, some of your brothers and sisters, some of the people outside of your biological, your immediate family, are able to say, I know this person. And I know they need me. And they know that I need them. For many people, that is a terrifying thing. For some of you, it's because you've never done that before. So it's just unknown. It's scary. I get it. Truly. There, there is an, an inherent exposure in that kind of vulnerability where you are open to pain. I understand that. We understand that. So, some of you are, are terrified of that kind of vulnerability because you've been hurt before, because you've been exposed and out there, and somebody has taken advantage of you, somebody has betrayed your trust and you've been wounded. That stuff is real. It's very real. Most people who wander into churches at one time or another have too many stories like that. And it is natural and and even logical to say, I will never let that happen to me again. And, And again, some level of relational protection is good and wise. But partnered with that is the truth that Jesus will almost certainly not heal you by yourself alone. Because it's just not how He works. Because everything that He's doing is about this people together. And and you and I, you and elders, can we can help maybe discern how how many other people can help with that? Maybe you just intuitively know that only you can only handle maybe one other person knowing you so deeply and well. I would encourage you to take whatever step you are able to to take. To get the help from, from the community of Jesus. That you desperately need. Because I think that what you'll find there is the same thing that we see here provided in Acts 2. There is real provision. People who have extra of what you do not have will be willing to care for you and to love you. And if you look at the the Christian community in both Acts 2 and following You'll recognize that there are a diverse representation of peoples there. In Acts two itself, there's people from all over the Mediterranean world. There are people from all over the socioeconomic spectrum. There are there are people there that would not otherwise expect to find a place in any kind of community. One of the things that that Roman writers will write about Christian communities after the New Testament is that they have this strange welcoming for slaves, for lower class, for women, all these people that otherwise would not assume that they would find a place in in a spiritual community. The New Testament church and the church that follows has this unique expansiveness for their community that dignifies and honors the image of God in all people and and loves to make famous the name of Jesus no matter where you come from, what your past is, what your occupation is, what your expected class or status is. Because the Christian community is gathered around Jesus. Jesus and He has more than enough. If you are hurting and vulnerable and in need, we want to be the kind of community that not just says that Jesus has more than enough, but demonstrates it. That we are the kind of Christian community that invites you and encourages you to be open and vulnerable to to put out your physical needs and your spiritual needs, and that you would find people of Jesus come gather around you and give out of the generosity of God Himself, and that you would receive healing and blessing, and ultimately that you would experience the flourishing of God in our community. Because ultimately we believe that our wider community is transformed by the community of Jesus, following Jesus together. It's not just an incidental thing for us. We don't believe that community is just a nice thing to have, that as long as we have just good preaching, some nice music, and some kids programs, and have a little community sprinkled on top, that's great. What we're saying is it is it is vital for humanity, it is crucial to the life of the church to have this kind of Christian community, and the only way that we will see the kingdom of Jesus transform this Swannanova Valley and our lives is if this kind Of deep, generous community exists within our body. And what we also acknowledge is it is costly. It is costly to follow Jesus together like this. Because what do the people of Acts 2 do? They reorder their lives, they sell everything that they have. To live in common one another. It's costly. And if, if our Christian community does not cost us something, we would simply say we are falling short of the mark. So that means some nights when you just really would like a night at home by yourself, That might be the night that you need to pick up the phone and call somebody or text somebody that you know does not have a table and invite them to yours. It might mean that you and I need to reorder our schedules, (gasps) not the schedule and make our lives different than what we naturally desire, to make space to bring people deeper into community. It may mean that you meet somebody here on a Sunday and you do not recognize their face. And instead of scanning past them to find a face you do recognize, you say, that's the person that I need to say hello to. Small, seemingly unnoticed and insignificant decisions like that are signs in a people that Jesus is king and that he is forming his kingdom there. It is not incidental. It is not insignificant for you to extend greeting or a place at your table to somebody that you do not know. It is Modeling Jesus to the whole world. That is important. It is significant. And it is for us at Valley Hope what we hope to say is a mark of who we are. And when we are not a people like that, for me as a pastor, I'm saying we're short. Something needs to be fixed. Ultimately, why why are we like this? And why did I read to you Matthew 3? We are going to have some baptisms today, but even if we weren't, I'd still read this passage. In this Matthian account of Jesus' baptism, he describes how Jesus comes down to the water to be baptized which is really strange if you really think about it. If you're a Christian and you have been for a long time, it's easy to just sort of skip over this. Yeah, Jesus got baptized and then you know everything started. That was the, that was the beginning. It's really strange because John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. It's very clear. John's very upfront about it. Repent, be baptized. Brood of vipers. And Jesus is one of the ones who steps to the edge of the waters. And we confess that Jesus has never sinned. So what is he doing there? And it's this same question that John asks, like, are you here to baptize me? Because I don't think I should be baptizing you. And Jesus walks into the waters on our behalf, as one church father says, forever sanctifying the waters for us. We follow him, this new Moses, into the waters and into a new kind of life. But this thing happens, John baptizes him, and, you know, he poured or dunked, and if you want to fight about that, just have fun amongst yourselves about what he did. He was baptized. And then this thing happens. Jesus looks up and he sees the heavens open up, and the Spirit descends like a dove, and the voice of the Father audibly says, this is my Son. In whom I am well pleased. It's an incredibly significant moment. There are very few moments in Scripture where we actually see the Trinity there, together, present, manifested. This is incredibly and intensely Trinitarian moment. And we hear the pleasure of God for the Son of God, who is... Clothed in the Spirit of God. The human need and the church's command to form community is not random. It is not incidental. It's not a it's it's not a, a nice addition to. Because in the life of the Trinitarian God Himself is eternal community. What we believe is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in community since before time existed. Before time existed, God Himself was always loving within Himself Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not a singular understanding of a monolith of love because love is not found until there's expression between love between people. But between the persons of the Trinity, there has always and forever been love. This is what's unique about the Christian idea of God. Totally unique in the the history of world religion is this moment when it has forever been the Father saying that He is well pleased with the Father and and with the Spirit and the Son And the Son has always stood there saying that He is well pleased with the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit has always been well pleased with the Father and the Son. It is an eternal swirling of love within the Godhead. That it is in the nature of God Himself for His people to be in community. And when you are in Christian community, it is not just this way for you to be cared for and for your needs to provided for, but in some way there is an analogy that you are being taught about the nature of God Himself that you cannot be alone. Not even God is alone. And for you and I to live lives of individuality and separately and within the immediate of our private experience is itself a claim against the nature of God. For you are saying, I am fine and I don't even need what God has. God is in forever and eternal community within Himself. And out of that superfluous and infinite communal love He makes, He creates. And He breathes into the dust and makes men and women. God has forever existed in this eternal community. And the beauty of what Jesus does for us is that He pulls us into the heart of divine life. If you are here this morning, and you are alone. And when I say that, I know that we are in a room together. But I've been in many rooms and been alone. Even in a crowd. If you are here and in this crowd, and you are alone. The call and the plea to you is to come home. You do not have to be alone anymore. If you are alone because you feel like you've been kicked out of the cold, you're alone because of what's been done to you. You You're alone because you are afraid of what might be done to you. First, hear me say that if people who bear the name of Jesus, have betrayed and beaten and wounded you. I am so sorry. It should never, ever have happened. And sin is everywhere, even in the people of God, but that is no excuse for what happened to you. And I'm sorry. But you are not locked into eternal punishment because of what happened to you. Do not let that thing bind you up in chains anymore. But come into the community of God and let God heal you. And if you are here and you would say, I'm in community, I just want to challenge you and clarify for you what that that community should look like. Is that community costly to you? Are you vulnerable within that community? And if you are, that's great. That's wonderful. If you have grown comfortable in keeping the walls around your community high and strong, let me challenge you today to see before you the Jesus who lived and was crucified and raised for you. His hands were were pinned back in openness and love for you. Do not let your life be closed off, even out of habit or thoughtlessness. Find ways actively to punch holes in those walls and to open it up. Because the divine life is for the people of God, won by Jesus, you and I were made for wonderful community—the community of the Trinity and the community of the people shaped by the Trinity. We are learning this together, and it may take time, and we may, we will do it in fits and starts, and incompetently at times, and we will repent be open-handed in forgiveness with one another, and we will extend costly love to one another because we want to see the kingdom of Jesus transform this valley. And we believe that this is the way that He'll do it through a community transformed in the image of His Son. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank You for drawing us into this life, We thank you that we could see that moment at the baptism of Jesus, the voice of the Father and the descending of the Spirit, and be reminded that you are drawing us into that kind of life, that through the work of Jesus, we have access to a kind of corporate communal love that we could not find anywhere else. And we confess to You, God, that we live in a place and a time that, that presses us and pushes us towards hiddenness and privacy and isolation. And our own nature often makes us crave aspects of that. We confess to You, God, that we have worshipped our own comfort at times. More than given ourselves over to the community Shaped by Jesus. We confess to You, God, that we have often sought out people who are just like us. People with the same income, the same skin color, people with the same interests, and we have wanted to replicate ourselves in uniformity. We confess to You that we have wounded one another and not sought out forgiveness. We have not repented of our sins to each other. But Jesus, You are generous and kind and relentless and You will shape Your bride. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would make this church, that You would make Valley Hope of people who model this kind of community. God, I pray that by Your Holy Spirit, You would make us to be the people that at times it feels impossible to be. Open our eyes for the face that we do not know, for the face among us that is familiar but is alone. Help us to be motivated and bound by Your love. Not just for our own good, but for the sake of the world. That Jesus might be proclaimed as singular as the King of the Kingdom. Make Yourself famous, Lord Jesus. Amen.